Hello. Hello, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm super good. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, you know, podcasting is uh, is very important. It's important to me. It's important to all of us. It is. Yeah. It really is. So what's up with you? What have what you been doing? Oh, uh, well, you know, everything's happening, Dan, all the time. Everything is always happening. Um, as somebody who uh, is just going where the day takes him, yeah, living living a conscious life in a consciousness with a consciousness, mm-hmm. conscious a conscious moment, every moment, conscious every moment. Uh, it means that from day to day, uh, who knows? Yesterday, I was in a water balloon fight, uh, which was which was exciting. Although there was a lot of you know a lot of different ideas about what's fair in a water balloon fight. Well, you mentioned to me. That you had a baseball game and I, you didn't go into specifics as to whether you were going to the game to watch it or mm-hmm. are you playing in the game or mm-hmm. are you, are you maybe refing the game? Mm-hmm. Are you coaching sim- it, coaching the game? Are you maybe you're being the King Neptune and you're, you're just whatever Kings do at a game. Mm-hmm. So I've been, right. I was planning to ask you today to see if this is something that we could clear up. I love to play softball. Anytime somebody wants to, anybody listening wants to invite me to play a softball game with them, I, I'm I'm all all in. Sure, but you know, in Seattle, within the Seattle rock musician community, there have been two big sports phases, and one of them was in the early '90s. The Seattle SuperSonics were. Um, doing really well. We had Gary Payton then. We were uh, we were like a, a formidable basketball team. Hmm. And the grunge rockers, the Pearl Jams, and the um, select members of Soundgarden, and the presidents of the United States of America. Oh, they're and they're a Seattle band? Presidents? Yeah. Oh, they are the most Seattle band of all. You know, I think I'm confused because they did the Cleveland rock song mm-hmm. for Drew Carey, the Drew Carey show. They sure did. And in my mind, I thought, oh, of course they're doing that song. They're from Cleveland. So they had always been a Cleveland band to me. No. Did not, did no. not know that. No, Dan, that's crazy. Peaches, uh, millions of peaches. That's right. Peaches for free. Well, I like them better now that I know they're from Seattle. Does that count for anything? Uh, it does. They um, they are really Seattle. They made their record here for five hundred dollars, and um, <laughs> their first shows in Seattle were just extraordinary. Just extraordinary. They should they should be. I wish they'd all been cataloged because they were the that that was at the height of when grunge was the most down. Everybody was such a downer at that mm. point. You know, it wasn't like the early days of grunge where it was like, ha ha, we're putting one over on everybody. Yeah. The world thinks our shitty bands are good. Woo. It was, you know, a few years later where it was like, everything sucks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we suck and the world sucks. People suck. This music sucks. It was really a bummer. And then the president showed up and they were like, woohoo. Lump, she's lump, pow. Yeah. But the music was so good. The music was just straight up great. And everybody in town needed a little bit of lift. 
and those shows were bananas. They were bananas. The audience were, would would um, I guess you would describe it as pogoing, although I hate that term. But you know, nine hundred people jumping up and down in unison so much that it would it would shake the stage. The band would bounce, like the drum kit was bouncing because <laughs> the whole building was bouncing. Really fun. But uh, those guys, really, uh, particularly uh, my good friend Jason, who is the drummer, uh, really into the sports games and very, very pro-Sonics. So Sonic, it was all about the Sonics. Now, this is Ken Griffey era, too. And the Mariners were also very popular, Ichiro. But as the Sonics went away, all that sports energy has transferred to the Mariners. And the Mariners have been consistently uh, a team that every spring shows tremendous promise. Every summer figures out a way to still be in the running. And then every fall just pisses it away, you know, at the last. Pisses it away at the last, right? Mm-hmm. Even even our greatest moment, um, we won a hundred games or more than a hundred games in a season, but just sort of wasn't able to just pissed it away. So the Mariners are very popular with a lot of my friends. Uh, everybody's got baseball tickets and I am on the short list for a few people when their normal friend isn't able to come or when their mom oh, who normally right. goes with them. I'm on the short list uh, for, Hey, my, you know, my other friend can't go. Do you want to go? And if I can, I always do because baseball games are super fun. I enjoy the game of baseball. I don't feel strongly enough about sports in general to care about sports Hmm. in the sense that if I never went to another Mariners game, I would also be fine. Right. But I don't care about very many things enough that if I never went, Again, like if I never went to another museum, I would be fine. I think if I never went. Well, I thought know, of you as a, muse- a museum kind of a guy, though. I can imagine you just I, get. I, I go to museums all the time. I love museums. I was just at the Henry Art uh, Gallery just a few days ago with a good friend. We went to see an installation that uh, was pretty great, actually. I mean, you know, those those. um epic installations in museums where there's no point to them other than to fill a giant museum space. Like they're not, they're not making art that's going to sell anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not like you would buy that piece and put it in your house. It's a, it's art for the sake of artists making art and the money is part of a grant and you go in and have an experience, I guess Mm. from the standpoint from, you know, under those criteria, it was a great show and I, spent quite a bit of time exploring it. But what I'm saying is that that isn't a thing. Like if you, if you were to say to me, make a list, a short list of things that if you never did them again, you would be sad. I see. You know, like what's on that list? Like pet my daughter's hair. If I never did that again, I would be sad. Right. Um, if I never had a piece of cake again, I would be sad. But if I never went to see a rock show again, I don't know if I would be sad. Hmm. Well, you, you've been to a lot of them. Oh, more than I mean, maybe anyone. No, no, there are people that have been to a lot more shows than I have. Hmm. 
Uh, Thank you for just being Ch- modest, to be honest. No, my friend Chad Criolo has been to 1,000 times more shows than I have. Wow. Um, which is a lot of shows. Is he a roadie or something? No, he's an agent. Uh-huh. But, you know, he's an agent who, before he was an agent, he was a club booker. And before he was a club booker, he was a, you know, like, he's been in the game as long as I've been in the game. But always on the always on the side of uh, it also being his job. So I was going to a lot of shows for a long time, but it was always, it was more tangentially related to my job. Like I was going to see shows because that was what I did. Right. But it's not like I, I've never, I, very seldom Dan, have I ever been at a show where I had to be there and I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think Chad has been at a lot of shows that he didn't want to be. He, he, if it had been up to him, he wouldn't have been there, but it was his job. Right. But he's also vacationed with Paul McCartney by this point. So I bet he didn't want to do that either. He sounds like a real downer. Yeah, no, no. I think he was probably having a pretty good time. It was He was on vacation and Paul McCartney was on vacation. They just happened to be on the same Caribbean island. And Paul recognized him from this is a this is one of those moments in life where you're like, you feel like it, it all has added up to something. Chad was promoting a McCartney show in Montana earlier that year. And McCartney had given him some ribbing because Chad always wears a vintage Pendleton or other plaid wool shirt. Mm-hmm. That's his, that's his look. Chad's one of these characters that if you took him, if you put him in a time travel machine and you sent him back to 1940, like if you sent me back to 1940 <laughs> right now, right, and I'm just walking around, it'd be like Back to the Future. They'd say, "Why are you wearing a life preserver?" Right. You know, like my shoes and my. There'd just be things about my hair. First of all, I would stand out. I'd have to go get a haircut. I'd have to figure out how to, even though maybe one or even two things I'm wearing are. From 1940, I still, <laughs> the whole look would be wrong. Right. But Chad, you could take and you could put him in a time machine right back to 1940 and the, and the people of 1940 would, would wouldn't accept even notice him. it. Wouldn't even care. He would, they would say, oh, here's a guy that's working as a fishing guide and he's come to town to get some lures or whatever. Like, <laughs> so, but Paul McCartney didn't like it. Paul McCartney was like, um, cause Paul's wearing a suit. Everybody standing around him is wearing a suit and he's like, Oh, looks like somebody didn't get the memo about dressing up for the show. And Chad's like, what can I say? And everybody lolled. But then a few months later, they're in Antigua or whatever, some crazy Island in the, in the Caribbean. And Paul's like, Hey, look, it's that it's my friend, Chad. And it's just like, what? Come on, give me a fucking break. And you know, Chad's like shrugs it off. Oh yeah. Hey, what's up, Paul? <laughs> I can hang out. Ugh. Asshole. Sorry. I mean to yeah, bring up well, a touchy, touchy subject. No, you were just talking about baseball. So yeah, I'm going to the Mariners. I'm going to the Mariners uh today. I'm going to the Mariners tomorrow. And uh watch the baseball game. Well, sounds like it's, fun. Yeah, you follow the day, right? You live in the moment. If you can see baseball, you go see baseball. 
Do you go to see the Texas Rangers? I have never been to a Texas Rangers game, and I regret it. I want to go, and at some point, at some point, I will go. Maybe when my boy's a little bit older, because you know, baseball games. I love baseball. I don't love it the same way I enjoy football, uh, but I enjoy going to a baseball game and watching the game and relaxing. You know, eating some popcorn. Sitting back and, and enjoying yourself, spending the spending the day. My son, I don't really think I think he would get bored after the first thirty minutes, and then I'd be there with a bored nine year old. So I've been waiting for him to get a little bit older before I would go and and do it. But it's on my list of things I want to take him to. Yeah, you know, I I started taking my little girl to um, Mariners games. And the experience of walking into a ball field is so kind of awe-inspiring. I mean, it's a giant cathedral of people. And from the standpoint of a kid, that alone is is a massive moment, right? You just, when was the last time you saw 30,000 people all in one place? Yeah, really. And just that, you know, you can see the ozone in a theater like that, you're looking at people all the way across this great distance and you kind of just see, you can see the air in yeah. a way you don't normally do. Um, and then when she gets bored, there's, well, there's always the promise of a hot dog to right. think about. That'll put it in your mind. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the sports mascot, which comes around sometimes and you go, Hey, sports mascot. And I just I remember the the Philly fanatic when I was a boy growing up in Philadelphia and I mean every boy my age was obsessed with the Philly fanatic we had you know he had, we had the little stuffed animals to him we had the hats he had every everything and when I finally got to go to a game there he was he was running around like it was the it was the best thing ever I must have been Philly? I must have been about 70 years old at the time Philly Fanatic is the weirdest of all sports mascots. Am I right? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a weird thing. Well, it's not. It is a. It is a. A creation. It's not. Most teams have some kind of animal of some kind, or or a a, a guy wearing a baseball hat and a shirt. He's just like a, a human being, just a costume, a human being <laughs> mascot costume of a human being. But the Philly fanatic is a creature. He is large and green and has a Muppet, Muppet-like face and an extendable tongue. and Like a trumpet for a nose or something, right? Yeah, his nose kind of extends out like a snout. And then there is a, a, the tongue kind of unfurls out of that like one of those little party whistle things. You blow at a party. It almost is like that. But he is widely acknowledged as the best mascot, I think, really? in, in all North American sports. I, I will say that. Uh, is that is that true? You, That's a you've fact. been on the web websites uh, that that rate mascots, and Philly Fanatic is always at the top. And he's number one. He's the best. Number one, better than that Mets baseball headed guy. That's what I'm talking about. Who cares about that Mets? I th- they're I the arch rivals quite- of the Phillies, so of course I'm not oh. going to like the Mets. 
I see. Sorry. Piece of crap team. Obviously, we don't. None of us like the Cleveland Indians mascot anymore for a long time. But that it doesn't seem like they're getting the message from people that they need to figure out something else. The fanatic, though, he's awesome because he doesn't just run around. He's got like a like a car that he drives mm-hmm. around, and yeah. uh, and he does dances, and he brings people out onto the stage, you know, down down to the to the floor. He's got a little stage he runs around on, and I think he visited my school once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would have a lasting impression. You know, the Mariners, sadly, you know, the Pirates, right? The Pittsburgh Pirates. Right. Isn't the Mariners a moose? Well, this is the thing, right? The Pirates are a team named after a Pirates, mm-hmm. and their mascot is a pirate, right? Yeah. Well, the Mariners... We named our baseball team after the idea of a seafaring people or like a like uh, some people who are like out in sailing boats around, which is not a very – I mean I guess it is a sporty thing, but it's not really – I mean I, yeah, I guess they're heroes. But our, but our <laughs> emblem – our emblem is just a compass, which is like, well, OK. I mean – Obviously, like the eagles and the wolves and stuff were taken, <laughs> but like a compass, that's kind of a little harder to get behind. And then we realized we needed a mascot, and so we we got the moose, the mariner moose. But a moose and a mariner have nothing to do with one another. <laughs> and if we were going to be called the moose, why aren't we just the Seattle moose? Well, because a moose isn't really that great of a sports metaphor either a moose is a very like non-competitive ungulate so i feel like there's a lot of uh sort of identity crisis in the seattle sports like the sonics that was great because it was like this was the jet age we were building supersonic aircraft here in Seattle. That was that was where we were headed. That's a badass name, the Sonics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good name. Yeah, the Seahawks is not so sure about. I mean, it is a bird. That's just a rip off of the Eagles, also from Philadelphia. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just an Eagle. I've always been offended off. by that. You know, we well the Eagles are taking what's else? Well, we got the ocean. So yeah, Sea Eagle yeah. is basically what it is like. Come on. Logo's like, the same. Of, like, why is there no orca? Why is why didn't why aren't they the Seattle orcas? That would be cool. That'd be amazing. An orca is a badass. And they're beautiful. <laughs> Seattle orcas. Yeah. Come on. No. no. <laughs> I like that. The the uh the bat the, the 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 soccer team is called the Sounders. And that is like this this body of water here in Seattle is called Puget Sound. But like a sounder is like a guy on a boat that that drops a a leaded weight on a string down to see how deep it is. Yeah, fourteen fathoms. Like, <laughs> so here here we have orca who are the baddest of all toothed whales, shark shark creatures, animals, right? Mammals. They're right. not they're not fish. No. But they're killers. They're literally killer whales. Beautiful, endangered, awesome. Mm-hmm. But we could also be 
the octopi. Well, wait a minute. Octopuses. God, that takes a lifetime to beat out of your head. <laughs> we could be the Seattle octopuses. That's not maybe the your first thought, but we have the biggest octopuses in the world here in, C- in the Puget Sound. I didn't know that. Giant octopuses that are very smart, smarter than pigs. Even smarter than pigs. I don't know if they're smarter than pigs, but can a pig open a door? An octopus can. We could be the Ravens. Is there another team called the Ravens somewhere? Or the there is. Cr- there is a football team called the Ravens. Oh, football team called the Ravens. Who? Who? Where? Where Old is it? Baltimore. Baltimore Ravens. It should be Baltimore should be called something else. Why do they get Ravens? There are hardly any Ravens in Baltimore. They should be called the Magpies or something. I I know you're into the whole Raven thing. You know, yeah, they taken. should be the Baltimore Cicadas. <laughs> well, or, you, got, you got you know you got the you got Baltimore Ravens. That's what they have. The Cicadas. I'm renaming the Ravens the Cicadas. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I don't like the Ravens very much. But you know we could be the we could be the Wolverines. There's you know there's not actually a team called the Wolverines, is there? Somewhere? Yes, there is. Um, oh god damn it! The Wolverines are a um, Michigan Wolverines, but okay, that, right. yeah, that makes sense. I guess I'll give that to Michigan. Anyway, a lot of good ideas out here. Um, but Seahawks, Mariners, Sounders. They just all come up a little short. Be thankful that you're not the Washington Nationals, though, who have the most disturbing mascot there is, which is it's an eagle, which makes sense. But it's it's Screech is the name of the eagle. And it's the face. I'm looking at some pictures of it because I wanted to talk to you. about. (laughs) Are you in front of a computer? Just Google Screech Washington Nationals. The the eagle's face is it looks like it's horrified. It looks like it's just seen something unspeakable, and it it is it is reacting. Oh, in horror! Oh, to what it's oh. seeing. Oh, oh no! Oh dear! <laughs> I, I so there's a there's a cartoon of the eagle, and he looks he looks like a happy. The cartoon's like, hey. great. The cartoon's yeah. fine. But then the mascot, <laughs> what were they thinking? It's Don't all, they see it? No. I mean, can't they see it with their eyes the way we're seeing it I with our eyes? I don't think so. That bird is literally watching a Holocaust. <laughs> and yet he's putting his little, he's putting his giant face down into kids' faces. He doesn't seem happy. He doesn't seem glad. He's watching his family being like, like flayed alive. Yeah, it's it's a, it's abject horror. That's the only like, way to God. describe his face. It is, and every single picture, it's <laughs> conveying a different brand of of like like deep psychological agony. <laughs> oh my God! Why don't they stop that? I don't know. Can't they redesign that poor thing? Yeah, it's terrible. But you see what uh, I'm you see what I'm saying? There's there's oh, always worse out there. Oh, that's worse. Oh, that's so worse. Weren't, weren't they called the Washington Senators for a long time? <laughs> I don't know the history, but that wouldn't surprise me. Well, let me see. <laughs> Washington Senators oh, baseball. Uh, the American <laughs> League Washington Nationals slash Senators. There you go. 
team was officially named the Nationals until 56, but was commonly referred to as the Senators. Oh, and then that team became the Twins. This is the other thing that confuses me. So that baseball team moved. Right. It became the Twins. What does that even mean? That it that the team moved and then changed its name. Well, that's what Let's they they say, always do. That they, anytime. Well, it, I know, but why not just say, okay, the Twins have a team, or the Minnesotas have a tw- team now. It's called the Twins. Why does it have to be the Nationals moved there and changed their name? They, that's just, I I agree with you, but that's what they always do. It's always that way. Oh, so then the American League Washington Senators expansion team began to play in Washington immediately following the departure of the original Nationals team. And then in 72, that team, that Washington Senators team, became the Texas Rangers in Dallas-Fort Worth. <sighs> so I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah. And then uh, Major League Baseball returned to Washington in 2005 with the National League Washington Nationals, um, which is the former Montreal Expos. Yeah. Which then moved to Washington and became the Nationals. They have similar colors to the Senators, 68 to 72 Senators, but called the Nationals. So there was never a Washington Senators team. It was always – oh, wait. It was. From 61 to 71, it was called the Senators. See, I think the Senators is a a totally great name. You could have your, your, uh, your mascot could be like fat white guy in a three-piece suit. Uh, wearing a like a straw hat. How fun would that be? That would be pretty cool. I like that. Just not this eagle. No, that eagle sounds so bad. It's bad. Who wants to look at that thing, that face? Not me. You think there's kids out there who are like, oh, cool. mommy, dad, do we have a baseball team? Of course we do. And then they bring this thing out. And you're like, God, I have to look at that? Oh, yeah, do you want a stuffed animal? You want a plushie yeah. of the eagle? But- Put it right in your bed. Put it in your bed. You know, we have a fake thing here in Seattle called the Weedle, the Weedle on the Needle, <laughs> which is a big orange friendly monster that lives on top of the Space Needle and his nose glows red. This was the thing that they taught us as kids when we were little, uh, as opposed to being as kids when you're big. But uh, the Weedle on the Needle was the reason that this light blinked on top of the Space Needle. I guess it was a story – that was told when there were not that many things that had flashing lights on the top. I mean, okay. I remember, I remember being like, "Oh, the Weedle! You can see his nose on the top of the Space Needle." Yeah. And now it's like, why would you? Why, as a kid, would you be confused about what the light on the Space Needle was? But the Weedle is a friendly character, not a screaming Holocaust eagle. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just so mad that the that the Mariners aren't called the Orcas. I'm not going to get over that for a while. Yeah. I wasn't mad about that earlier today. It just now I'm now I don't understand. They must have had it on the list. Anyway, so Dan, I'm going to see the uh, the the Seattle uh, Eagles tonight. The sea <laughs> the sea the seagulls the seafarers the seafarers. All right. Uh, and I'm going to see them tomorrow as well. Uh, tonight is a night game. Tomorrow is a day game. It's uh, it's just a, it's a part of being a, part of being a resident of a major city. Sure. You go to see things. Yeah. You go to see some. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. 
We would like to say thank you very much to our sponsor. It's SendPro from Pitney Bowes. I've told you how great these guys are. They have three times the features of stamps.com at one-third of the price. What does that mean? Let me explain this because it's awesome. You can print stamps from your computer. It's going to save you time and money. You don't need any special equipment, and you're not going to have to wait in line at the post office. It lets you compare shipping rates and delivery times between USPS and all the other major carriers. You're going to get the best deal when you ship your packages. You can uh, print paid shipping labels for USPS, UPS, and more. You can even track all the shipments that you make from the same easy-to-use interface. You're not chasing down different websites and trying to find tracking numbers. And they even have special rates for SendPro users. Saving starts at $0.03 per stamp. Great stuff. They have made a special URL. It's pb.com slash roadwork. pb.com slash roadwork. And when you sign up for SendPro, you're going to get it free for 90 days and you get a free 10-pound scale. And when your trial's over, you get SendPro for only $5 a month. That's a big deal. And that's one of the, the certainly the best, but the cheapest around. Compare it to something like stamps.com. They're $15.99 a month. That's three times more features with SendPro, one-third of the price. So go to pb.com slash roadwork to learn more. So, well, I mean, you've been, you've been, I would say, fairly busy recently with your Neptune, King Neptune duties and seeing the baseball games and all of that stuff. I mean, it sounds like you're keeping yourself, keeping yourself active as you get older. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. That's right. I haven't, I haven't sunk into my Barco lounger. <laughs> not, not too much. Somebody said to me the other day, they were like, "You play like you're old, but I know better." Oh, what do they, what do they like, think? You're faking it. What is that supposed to mean? Yeah, I don't play like I'm old. And they were like, "Yeah, when you, when it, when it, when you need to be old, when you need to be like, oh, I'm so old." You, uh, you trot it out. Mm. And I was like, I don't think you do know better. I think I am old, but, uh, but, but yeah, I keep busy. I like to keep active. I like to keep brand in my diet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, keep regular. You work you know, out, thinking, work out pretty regularly. I don't, I don't. I wish I did. I wish I did. I should be doing some pushups right now. But yeah, that'd be uh, a good way to start the show. Each episode. You just go throw down a hundred push-ups and then uh, uh, just see. pushing it out. Yeah. Ah, come on, come on. Yeah, you got another one in you. Come on. Fortunately, you know, even not working out, I managed to stay in uh, in somewhat good condition just because I think that I was built to be. I was built to be useful, right? I mean. You know, I don't want to say, Dan, that I was put here on Earth, uh, that I that I'm a born war machine or anything. But if you need something moved, oh, you're the one to call if we need a like a friend to help move something. You know, I don't. Let's just put it this way: I don't have trouble picking things up. If I if I had if I had one superpower, it would be picking up heavy things, lifting with my lifting with my legs not my back you know like if you say oh i need to move this chest and i called three people and everybody's sitting in the entryway trying to debate like how we're going to do it 
I'm the one that goes down the hall, picks up the thing by himself and carries it out. And everybody's like, what the, I'm like, don't worry. I got it. Like I'm the, I'm the heft, the heavy lifter. Right. And so all those things where it's like, oh, I never knew my own strength. I lifted a car off of that child. You know your own strength. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, my feeling would be like, yeah, I'd be able to lift that car in a situation like that probably. If anybody can, it'd be me. So I stay in what appears to be good condition uh, because I just have – I have like a – like my body was built to do something other than sit around and podcast. My body was built to to take it to the English. Oh, yeah. My body was built to – to, to climb and survive and get over the wall. And instead, you know, I sit around all day playing the guitar and talking on the computer. Yeah. Um, and I think probably inside, I, I, I'm probably falling apart. You mean like your function of your organs? Yeah, that's all. I'm sure that that's, I mean, you know, my eyes are going to mist over. <laughs> my toes are going to curl. But in the meantime... <laughs> When I walk around, you know, I, I carry a few extra on the front here because I'm a middle-aged guy and you never know when you're going to have to go on a long, long watch walk without food. Right, sure. But no, I think I'm – I think I appear to be in fairly decent condition without having to do a lot of work. Do you ever do any, like, any tests or anything, just like a, like a strength test, like if, if you can still lift lift an old sow or something like that and see – I mean, I go to the fair and I hit the little clanger with the sledgehammer and it always goes up and rings the bell. Really? So, I mean, when you're a dad, that's like, you got to be able to do that. If you get, you know, you ring the bell and then you walk away and everybody goes, hooray, he's still a dad or still a, he's still a guy. That's just basic guy stuff. I've never tried hitting one of those things. Well, you got to put your, you got to put your back into it. Yeah, it looks that way. You know, but, um. But, you know, you want to want to represent for your little girl. Yeah. And unfortunately, my kids have never asked me to do it because then I would have to go do it. I think I'd be yeah, all right, right doing it. I'm always my fear isn't that I won't be able to perform some kind of feat of strength or something. It's more that uh, I'll do it and I'll, I'll pull something. Yeah, that's the are you ever are you not worried about that? Like pulling my, something? Uncle, my uncle Jack. Uh, was a football player in high school and he went to college on a football scholarship and was a famous football player uh, for his college in the late 1940s. Like football player whose picture was on the front page of the New York Times style football player. Recruited by the Chicago Bears in 1950 or something like that, but declined to become a professional football player because at the time to be in the Chicago bears was to spend, uh, all fall driving around the country in one old creaky diesel bus. Like professional football was not the big money making thing it is now. Right. It was, it was like kind of a shitty job. So he declined to join the bears and he went to, um, be a lawyer instead. But his football life created a, a, a back condition for him that my whole life he has been like his back has gone out. He's oh. been like, ow, oh, and then oh. he's got to lay on the floor. And he had he was the first person I ever saw that had one of those things where you 
you strap your ankles in and then you then you oh yeah the um the not incline uh the suspension uh, yeah. invert an inversion table inversion table where you hang upside down by your ankles yeah he had one of those I'm not sure if it helped him I think they're supposed to the first time I saw that um was that movie nine to five oh was there one in that I think um I think Gary Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman, yep. I think, was on one of those in that movie. Yep. Maybe I'm yep. remembering it wrong. Nope. Dabney Coleman, and he was on an inversion. That that makes sense. That's about 1980 is about exactly when Uncle Jack <laughs> ended up with one in his house. I'd say he had it in, yeah, 78 to 80. Anyway, so I've always been worried about that, and uh, my dad kind of, you know, had his had his foibles. And when I was young, I had tremendous back pain, but it was upper back up in my shoulders right? because I was carrying all my sickness. Your emotional stress was up in there. I think you talked about that once. Yeah, it was terrible. But my lower back has never given me any problems. And I've always been careful to, you know, to lift with my knees. My knees are just shredded. From what? Just being, being tall? Yeah, but also being reckless. You know, I was a ski I was a skier and then I started to damage my legs in recklessness. And by recklessness I mean jumping, climbing and jumping. Um like I have a couple of friends that were injured, severely injured by falls. Uh I know a guy here in Seattle who fell and is in a wheelchair and also doesn't have use of one of his arms. Poor guy. From a fall. Like a, and a big fall or just like tripped? No, no, a big fall. In that, uh, I think, you know, he was drinking and climbed up a rock wall, yeah. a rock face, you know, climbed up the side of a hill and then slipped and fell a great distance and landed oh, in man. such a way that it made him a paraplegic and also uh, a, uh, you know, like, and ruined an arm yeah, in addition. terrible. I have another friend that, uh, again, drinking, climbed up on top of a building, and then there was a flagpole mm. in front of the building, and he ran, he was like, check this out, and he ran, uh, jumped off the building and grabbed onto the flagpole. Oh, no. And in his mind, he was going to grab onto the flagpole and then slide down it like a fireman's pole. And it was like going to be a pretty badass move yeah. because he ran and jumped off the roof onto this thing and that everybody would be like, woo! Real sort of like beer drinking idea of how a thing was going to go. But he hit the f- top of the flagpole and the top of the flagpole broke off. Oh, my God. And then he was holding on to the top of the, a broken flagpole and fell. <laughs> it was just like he basically just ran and jumped off a building and decided to oh also break the flagpole. And so landed on his back and <sighs> broke his neck. Uh, but ended up having those vertebra fused together. Did not die or get paralyzed. But he did end up with his you know, like several uh, vertebrae 
were now like are just a single bone because they were all pieced together in order to regain the use of his of his body. So that is the type of thing that I also used to do. Bad judgment combined with feeling of invincibility combined with desire to climb, like innate desire to climb either up a mountain or up a wall or up a, you know, we were all, we all thought we were rock climbers. I had a friend, uh, by the name of Jim, Jim Harley, who is now a psychiatrist in Bellingham. If you want to look him up and maybe he's, maybe he treat you, but he was like an (laughs) ultimate Frisbee player. And he decided at one point that rock climbing was going to be his thing. And he built a climbing wall under the stairs at a house he was living and would just like spend his free time just like hanging upside down on these little climbing wall grips, uh, under, under the stairs, like inverted, which was curious to me. Jim for a long time in college and in medical school lived on salsa sandwiches, two pieces of wheat bread with salsa and nothing else. Just like put just pour salsa on one piece of bread, put another slice of bread on there. That was Sounds what he thought was really good. dumb. It was terrible, but he's a special character. Anyway, we would, we were walking in Palo Alto one night, middle of the night, walking around and I turned around. I was like, where did Jim go? And I looked and he had decided that he was just going to scale this, the wall of some brick lecture hall. And he was already a story and a half off the ground before I even realized where he was. And I was like, what the Jim get down. And he was just like, like a spider just crawling up the side of this building. And yeah, I would do that same type of thing. I did not follow Jim because I didn't have his rock climbing skills, which were tremendous. But if there had been little like nubbins, I probably would have tried to go up it too. You've seen those pictures of those extreme climbers in Russia that climb up to the top of skyscrapers and hold on with one hand right oh yeah i don't get that that makes me uncomfortable to watch or learn about well i would think it would because it's freaky but but as a young person i had that same desire right like if they if if parkour had been invented then if it was an acknowledged sport in 1980 yeah I would have really wanted to do parkour. It really appeals to me. Yeah. Mo, well, my boy is obsessed with that too. Anytime, anytime someone, like if someone's running and they sort of like, even just like kick off a wall a little bit, he's like, Oh, they're doing, they're doing parkour. Yeah. 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 I love that stuff. And, and didn't, you know, it wasn't a thing then. So, and when I first saw parkour, I was like, I, I, I studied it really carefully and curiously. Like, okay, what is, what is this now? And the initial parkour, it wasn't exactly, it wasn't what it is today. Now you don't need any explanation. It's just like these people are flying through the air. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. Initially it was like, okay. And then he jumps over a trash can. I'm not sure what that, what is amazing about that. It's sort of like skateboarding without a skateboard, but then it evolved so fast. I, I really, I never wanted to be an inline skater. When inline skates came out, I, I, found a used pair at REI attic. I bought them. I, I used them a little bit. I got what it was, but I had no impulse to like be good at it. It was like, Oh yeah, you could, it's kind of like skiing and I'm already good at that. So mm-hmm. I can do this, mm-hmm. but I don't want to get any, I don't want to go down a flight of stairs on these. I don't, there's nothing about, I've seen guys on inline skates that can do amazing things. 
but the parkour would have been a thing I think I would have trained at. Anyway, so I've, I know a lot of people that got, that got grossly injured, but I got injured myself. Never where I was, never where my back was involved, but where my legs mm. got hurt because I jumped off of something that was too big to jump off of and I landed heavily. And so I've had surgery on one knee. The other knee is damaged from compensating for the one bad knee. I continued to do reckless things. I continued to ski. I walked across Europe on, on these bad limbs, right. probably not doing the meniscus any favors. So in that's the part of my body that is showing my age the most. My, my, uh, the, the thing, the things I've damaged, right. Are my knees and my ears and my heart down. Just the emotional pain of. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. the, that's the limb that has the most phantom pain mm. is my, is my heart. Your feeling, your center of feeling. My feelings are, I have a lot of scars on them, but my knees are fucked up and my ears ring. That's just the beginning, right? Of course, I've broken both my hands a couple of times, so they're going to start getting arthritic eventually. How's that finger? Well, you know, it's always going to be a little bit stiff. Yeah. It's always going to. That was a, be... when I first met you, that was a fresh, fresh wound. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of it as the, as the, uh, and I Dan think you, Benjamin finger. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think uh, you had taken uh, you had taken a toothbrush or something like that, and as a splint, something. Oh, chopsticks! Two chopsticks. Chopsticks, yeah. Built a little splint out of chopsticks. This was back when I refused to go to the doctor for things because I felt like doctors were just it was just a racket. Uh huh. And I finally realized that I had a broken finger, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor said. <laughs> well, it's nice of you to come in. Uh, your finger now is past the point where I can really do anything about it. Uh, I would have put a splint on it for the last two weeks, but now is about when I would be taking the splint off. So here we are. Here's some putty. Try and squeeze it and build your strength back up. No, I mean, he did something. What did he do? He wrapped something. Did he rebreak it? He said he didn't want to do that. He would have said it differently if I had come in in time. But as it was, it was already healing. And any time so, in a movie when they have to – my favorite things in a movie, there's three things I really like in a movie. And, and any movie that has one of these is usually a really good film. Uh-huh. The first is if they have to re-break something because it improperly healed and they have to re-break it. And then the, the doctor does it with some kind of special hammer. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Number, Special hammer. Number two, anytime they have to uh, reinsert a shoulder in the socket, uh-huh. ex- extra points if the person does it themselves by slamming it against a wall. Uh-huh. And the third thing is anything that somebody uh, has, they've got some kind of injury that then needs to be cauterized by some kind of hot poker that's been oh, in a yeah. fire. Those are my three top things for movies that I look for. Yep. If yep, you get all three in a movie, two. that's a trifecta. That's a number one movie. I don't know that there is one that has all three. We would also like to say thanks to Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon's better than whatever you're wearing right now. 
They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I've been to the site. I ordered stuff. It's simple. They say it's simple. It is actually simple. And I am a big fan of the Mack Weldon stuff. They can't pay me to say. They can pay me pay us to read these ads, but they can't buy that. I got the Mack Weldon. I love their sweatshirts. They get great underwear, great socks. I wear I wear this stuff to work out in. I wear it around the house. I wear it out. It's great stuff, but they keep it simple. Simple. They make only a few things, but they do a really good job. The most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. And they even have a special line of the silver underwear, real silver, that makes it naturally antimicrobial, which means it eliminates odor uh, in a natural way. And it really works. They perform well, they look great, and they're super comfortable. And uh, we're, we're glad they're sponsoring the show and that they're back to sponsor the show. That means that enough of you in the audience have gone to MacWeldon.com and tried it out. Well, we've got a cool promotion. You can use uh, our coupon ROADWORK, promo code ROADWORK, and you'll get 20% off anything you buy over at MacWeldon.com. So we appreciate their support. I love this stuff. You're going to love it too. MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code ROADWORK. I actually had a friend who had a shoulder that would become that would dislocate and I had to be the one routinely that put his shoulder back in and he would slam it against the wall sometimes um but I also would like slam him against the wall he he it was a hockey injury and when his shoulder would come out oh you could really see that he was in a lot of pain. Yeah, it seems really painful. My daughter uh, once got something called nurses. Have I told you this story? Nurses elbow. No, I, t- I haven't told you about nurses elbow. No, what's nurses elbow? Okay, apparently this is a pretty common thing that happens to little kids. Um, my daughter was maybe certainly, I would say, less than less than a year old, about a year old, let's just say a year old uh, or less. It's at that age where you're, the, the child is still in diapers, but coming out of needing him. So whatever age that would be. Right. And uh, the, the thing that, you know, when you, when you have your first child, you want all kinds of paraphernalia for the child to make sure that it's fine and has everything. And like, you need a you know, a little thing that warms the wipes and you need a special, you can't just change them, you know, on a surface. You have to have a special changing table and everything. And by the time you have your second kid, you're just changing them on the ground. It doesn't matter, whatever. So she needed a new diaper. I wasn't, I was at work. Uh, My wife had, uh, was changing her the way that she always does, which is she would lay her on the ground uh, on a little towel and just whip off the old diaper, chuck on a new diaper and she's running back to playing. Whip and chuck. Apparently, you know, when, when you lay the child down, the child doesn't always lay down at the right uh, angle. You have to adjust their position so that they can, you, they're in the right orientation for you to change a diaper. Sometimes a kid wants to lay one way, the other way. Um, so she had laid down and my wife re- gently, and my wife is always super gentle, uh, just re- gently readjusted her position by holding her arm and her leg and kind of sliding her closer to, to her. 
um, not not with a jerking motion, not with a lot of force, just very gently. That's the same thing I've done with my kids when I was changing her diaper a million times, the same thing she had done a million times. But something happened this one time where when she was gently sliding her, the elbow pulled out of... Did you know that elbows have a socket too? The elbow uh-huh. pulled out of the socket. And uh-huh. yes, and this apparently is something that only can really happen to very, very young, small children. And it doesn't take a lot of force at all to do this. It's very, very minimal force. It's more about like doing it at just the right angle. Uh, but apparently this is even more painful, I'm told. I don't know how they how they measure this right but um that it it causes as much or more pain as the shoulder coming out apparently because the minute that it happened she starts screaming and screaming and screaming like she's just unconsolable and she my wife was unable to to calm her down or do anything and she's holding the arm by her side like it's dead you know just ah. like a like a hanging hanging arm and my wife was just freaking out just going berserk and my son who's i guess he was probably about four four and a half at the time he's just you know like not sure what's going on so she calls me and in the background i can just hear my little baby just screaming and screaming ah. and crying and she's like I think I've done something horrible by accident. I, I don't know what happened. And she kind of told me, I said, okay, <laughs> I'll come home now. <laughs> and uh, so she took her to the, you know, walk-in emergency clinic and the people there were like, oh yeah, she just got nurse's elbow. The doc walks over and goes, boop, touches her instantly. She's fine. She's back to normal. The crying has stopped. She's asking if they have any lollipops, you know, like, instantaneously fixed with and it wasn't like a shoulder where you've got to like you were describing like you really have to like bang it back in it's just holding it at the right angle and then you bend you bend the arm and it pops back in and instantaneous relief she was fine there was no soreness there was no swelling there was nothing it was fine she was fine wow but they told my wife they're like if you know they're like this is one of those things that happens a lot when a parent is sort of disciplining a child and they might kind of pull or yank the kid's arm that it it comes out but um they weren't worried about that with her they could tell it was that wasn't what happened but um yeah so any ever after that for like the next year because apparently after they turn two years old that's not a concern it doesn't happen anymore Hmm. Uh, it's Uh only a, a certain time uh but we we were not allowed as a family to do anything with her arms. She just, we weren't allowed to hold, even holding her hand, we had to hold above the elbow. You know, it was, but she's fine. She's fine now, but nurse's elbow. Nurse's elbow. Nurse's elbow. Well. Who knew? I get, well, now we and all of our listeners know. So public service announcement or nurse, you know what? Nurse maids, I'm Googling it. Nurse maids elbow. Nurse maids elbow. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because, you know, you leave your child alone with her nursemaid and you right. come home and the child's all messed up. 
And it's like, what did you do, nursemaid? Almost no, also known as radial head subluxation, of course. Oh, well, that's what I would have normally it's called it. dislocation of the radial head from where it usually sits caused by a sudden pull on the extended pronated forearm, such as by an adult tugging on an uncooperative child or by swinging the child by the arms during play. Oh, uh-oh. Or, well, or do, gently sliding your child on the floor, apparently, also. I, I, I did do quite a bit of swinging. I do, you know, I'm one of those uh, swingers. Oh, yeah, of, I knew it. Ch- of children. Swing them around. Um, but I, I, but I, I got away with it, I guess. My daughter is, is too old now to have this nursemaid's yeah, don't elbow, worry about so it. You're fine. We survived the hard years, and... Whew. I know. Now, my, my daughter is a complete, total, uh, overreactive drama queen. So it's possible that it didn't hurt that much. Right. But, you know, she the other day was in a swimming pool and got going in and out of the swimming pool, got a little a small little scrape. And she every time, every chance she gets, she'll say, Daddy, I have I have a, a serious wound. Yes. And I'll say, no, you really don't. I need a Band-Aid. So we had to get those big, big giant square patch <laughs> Band-Aids to cover it. I was just at a party the other day where there were a lot of six-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. I saw the, you You posted a lovely little a video of, you said that it was, they were watching you talk about World War One. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think that's true, is it? And doing their little dance, their little <laughs> World War One dance. Right. But at this age, the amount of pure drama that uh, any even tiny little event will inspire, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sitting with a group of other moms like myself, and we were <laughs> <Yes>. just <laughs> laughing at each successive child that came up and was like, ah, I'm dying. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, we were watching you. We saw what happened. You're not dying. That was very small. You know, and the child is just like pretty mad that they're not getting that you're not taking their wound seriously. Yes. But also, come on, quit, get out of here. Quit bugging us yeah. with your dumb with your dumb fake injuries. I'm sure that within a childhood development framework that something's going on that that we should be like aware of uh, developmentally. But I think that primarily what's going on is that they're trying to figure out whether or not we'll take their fake wounds seriously. Yeah. I mean, my parents were were pretty good parents, but when I got the paint thinner in my eye, they thought I was messing around mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and we're like, Oh, you know, stop, stop interrupting. Stop. And I'm like, I got paint thinner in my eye. They didn't believe me. Yeah, it's a cry wolf scenario, yeah, right? You don't I, want to cry wolf. I know. My daughter understands the story of the of crying wolf. Oh, good. But it hasn't quite translated into her not crying wolf. Mm. But yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm spending a lot of time in that in that turf now. Ah, ah. I was thinking about I was thinking about homesteading homesteading the other day did you ever have a desire to homestead um are you talking about homesteading in the sense of like you ride out on horseback to claim your plot of land and and then the wagons follow you out there that kind of homesteading yeah that's right 
I mean, I've never really, never really thought about that. Except there was no. that one Tom Cruise movie, um, where he's he's sort of trying far and away. There it is, where there's a land. He's got a land rush, yeah. and everybody's got to Nicole Kidman is in that. Is this in? Does it take place in Australia? Uh, it's in. Um, no, I, you mean where was it filmed? I don't know where it was filmed. No, no, but like where is it set? They are Irish and they are seeking their fortune in, in the 1890s in America. Oh, I see, I see. And they were, there was the famous, as you would know, the famous land run of uh, 1893. Yep, yep. And that's, I think about it all the time. I know you do. The old land run. Uh, settlers so, awaiting the opening of the Cherokee outlet. So that, that version of the American story where there's land, and you just have to run out and get it. Stake mm-hmm. your, put your stake in the ground and say, this is my land now. Mm-hmm. And somebody from the, somebody comes along and writes it down in a book. And all you have to do is live there and work it. That's not, that's never been part of your, your American dream. The fantasy of that. Now, the way I listen to you talk about it, it is now, but not really, not really up until now. I mean, I think it's the type of thing that a certain type of person um, really responds to that idea, right? I mean, there are people still like it's very hard to make a living from gold mining mm-hmm. if you are just a single operator, right? If you are, if you're out there with your gold pan working some claim in a river. It's it's hard to make a bunch of money at it. It's not hard to make money. It's just hard to make a bunch of money. And when you add it all up, when you add the work and the pain in the neck that it takes to get up there in the you know in all all weather and work your little gold claim, it pencils out to be about like what it would be if you just had a job, right? Um, and maybe having a job, you do a little bit better, but the appeal of going up and pulling money, gold money mm-hmm. straight out of the, out of the mud is so strong that for some people, it's really a calling like gold mining is, is what they want. And, and I think part of the excitement of course, is that you might hit a big nugget. But that, that, whatever that is in, in people, that feeling of like the land is free, the gold is free, we just have to get it. Right. It's really strong and not, not for everybody, but like the, the, um, in Alaska, at least when I was a kid, you could go, there was a lot of land up there that you could just say, I'm staking off this claim but the state of Alaska had requirements. You couldn't just go stake off a claim and then go back to Anchorage and say, I own this land. You had to live on it, right? Yeah, you had to you had to improve the land and live on the land. And if you did that for a certain number of years, then you could eventually the ownership of the land would revert to you or would you would have um, earned it. 
And if it, and if you didn't, you could go up and stake all the land you wanted. But if you didn't do those things, the land would revert back to the state. Um, and you'd be, you know, whatever, out your filing fee and whatever work you'd done. And that really appeals to some people. And, and, um, did you like the TV show Deadwood? Did you ever watch that? I watched the first season of Deadwood. It didn't make it to the second season of Deadwood. And I think that was much more about plotting mm. uh, than it was about the idea of Deadwood, which I I loved the I loved the show. In fact, I was looking at a I was on a website the other day of a British company that manufactures uh, historic reproductions or, or rather accurate reproductions of uniforms from the Zulu wars and the French and Indian wars and, you know, Napoleonic costumes, the Boer wars, all these great uniforms from those wonderful times. And one of the items they had for sale on their site was, uh, a, a reproduction of Al Swearingen's iconic vest. Really? Is like w- the, his brocaded Western vest that he wears in, in that show. And I was like, huh, I didn't realize that was a thing I wanted. But now that I've seen it for sale. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to have I, it. I mean, that's a, he, that's a great character and what a great iconic vest. But I see what you're saying. That is, that's the show about that very idea. Well, yeah, of, of the idea of going to a place that is brand new where you can just sort of stake a claim, although they weren't I – th- I don't think they were getting huge sections of land, but there were a lot of people out there who were buying land and then they were trying to get gold on it. There were other people opening up a shop or living there, and it was – Apparently, this was South Dakota when it had no law. There was really no law there. Well, what it was was uh, wasn't it they that weren't part of the United States exactly. They had they had struck a deal with the the Indians, and they'd said this whole all these uh, Black Hills are going to be Indian territory in perpetuity. Mm. Like we have stolen your land multiple times. We've violated treaties with you multiple times, but we are done with that. And we are, the Black Hills will be your, I mean, we know that sacred land to you and we're just going to let you, that'll be your part of America. And here, let's shake on it and we'll sign these papers. We've finally resolved this problem of us continuing to steal and drive you off the land. And we did this in Oklahoma too. Hmm. This is you guys now. We've come as far as we need to go, and you can have this territory. And then in South Dakota, some guys who weren't part of the government, just some bearded guys with mm-hmm. with, uh, with a pickaxe on their mule, went into South Dakota anyway and found gold in the Black Hills and then went and told some other guys back in Kansas City, and all of a sudden this territory was full of miners and trappers and people trying to, uh, you know, rush. But the land was not, you know, the, the U S government said, this isn't our, you know, like you guys shouldn't be there. You're in violation of the rules, but the, the prospectors ignored the government. The government had 
agreed that this wasn't their their deal but over time it became it became true that there was just the the gold rush was on and the US did need to come in and enforce some law and just little by little it ended up being a we just violated every treaty that there was but it was initially i think a problem of enforcement we agreed that this was going to be indian land but nobody figured out a way to keep whites out which is always the problem how do you keep the whites out they just keep coming <laughs> they're very it's a very hungry race of people they want to eat everything they're like uh they're like cicadas or no not cicadas don't you're hooked on anything. the cicada thing no it's grasshoppers right yeah uh, locusts locusts the whites are like locusts and they came in and except they don't want wheat they want gold and in oklahoma it was somebody went in and found oil and then all of a sudden what had formerly been agreed upon as a giant Indian territory that was going to be left alone was just besieged by white locusts who were like, well, there's oil in the ground. So whatever agreement we had before doesn't matter anymore. And that was the, that was the late period of the West. So yeah, there was no law. There was briefly no law there, but it was the same in, in, uh, in the Alaska gold rush. It was just that the Yukon, gold rush, the Dawson city gold rush, the Canadians were very meticulous about maintaining law and the American prospectors arrived there. Um, the fastest way in to the Yukon was to take a ship up to Skagway, Alaska, and then overland to, uh, to the Yukon territories. And so all these trappers, all the, I'm sorry, all these prospectors and miners and gold rushers showed up in Skagway and they had this, they had to get over this mountain and they would climb up this mountain. And at the top of the mountain was the Canadian border and there were mounties there with a scale and they would weigh all your stuff <laughs> and they would go through all your stuff. And if you didn't, if you weren't bringing enough stuff into Canada to ensure your survival for a year or something, enough food, enough supplies right. to ensure your survival, they'd turn you back. Really? And say, go bring more stuff. You need more stuff. Or just like, sorry, that we're only letting people in that, that are bringing a proper amount of gear. I mean, they were, you know, the Canadians were like writing everything down in a book. And uh, that was the Chilkoot Trail from Skagway to Dawson or from Skagway to Lake Louise. And then you'd get on a boat and go keep going down. Um, and if you go along the Chilkoot trail now, there are still like, there's just wreckage all along this trail, horse skeletons and old boots and things that people had discarded as they were trying to, in the dead of winter, climb over this mountain range. Um, what was called the golden stairs or the golden staircase, something like that. All these guys rushing into Dawson city. And at the time, by then all of the gold claims were already grabbed in Dawson. So every one of these guys showed up there with, you know, laden with a year's worth of supplies and they get to Dawson. It's like, well, what we got here now is can, can girls and, uh, bars can, can girls and bars. That's what we, that's what we have. You got money. 
because <laughs> nobody nobody was getting gold at that point. My great grandfather, I think, went up on that gold rush. My, yeah, my great grandfather, when he was a young man, went up to that gold rush and came back down with nothing, just just like everybody did. Maybe a little poke of gold, as we say, a poke, a little poke. 